If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. Murder in the Rain, where each week Emily Rowney, Alicia Holland, and Josh McCullough tell true crime stories of the Pacific Northwest. Murder in the Rain contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Regret is something all of us know too well. Perhaps you didn't study abroad when you had the chance or passed up a job that was a once-in-a-lifetime offer. Maybe you neglected to tell someone how you truly felt about them in the moment past. For me, I regret spinning when I should have solved the dang Wheel of Fortune puzzle. But (laughs) what can you do? You live, you learn, you move on. But for some, regret is all too consuming. The serious error that was made can never be undone, nor can it be forgotten. And perhaps a person dwells on it for days and wishes for a do-over, or more specifically, wishes for a time machine so that they can have a chance to go back and change the course of their life. In this week's episode, we discuss the discovery of a woman's body in a rural forested area in Alsea, Oregon. As authorities work to uncover her identity, they also unraveled a dark story of heartbreak, betrayal, and regret. On Monday, April 17, 2017, a timber company groundskeeper named Russell Sloan was walking his dog when he stumbled across what appeared to be a dead body in a forested remote area about five to six miles outside of Alsea, Oregon, in Benton County. The man called police who were quickly dispatched to the scene. The body was clearly a female. She had a light complexion, light eyes, and light hair, and she appeared to be in her mid-twenties. Her cause of death seemed pretty obvious as she had a large wound trauma to her head. The eventual autopsy indicated she had been killed by a single gunshot and had died within a day or two prior to the discovery of her body. Russell Sloan, the man that found her, was interviewed by police. He lived in a camper in the vicinity so that he could take care of the grounds and watch for trespassers. He mentioned he believed he heard gunshots the previous Sunday, just before dark, which is not uncommon in these rural Oregon areas. He also noted that he often drove down the hill so that he could get a better cell phone signal, and one of those trips happened to be around the time frame he heard the gunshots. As he made his way down the road, he saw a dark SUV leaving the road that led to where the body was later found. When investigating the scene, detectives noted right away that the woman seemed out of place. She didn't appear to be a hiker who had prepped to be out alone in such a rural place. She was dressed very casually and didn't have any bags, equipment, or food. This led them to believe that she had been driven to the location. It also appeared that her body hadn't been moved, leading them to suspect that she was alive when she was driven to the area, killed on site, and her body left abandoned. 
Authorities searched her for belongings that would help uncover her identity. Unfortunately, there was no purse, no wallet, no cell phone left behind. While they were able to collect her fingerprints, there were no matches in the system. The woman did have two distinctive tattoos, one on the inside of her wrist where it was two lines which zigzagged over each other, kind of looking like a sound icon. Her other wrist had a script that said, it beats for you. This led detectives down an identification rabbit hole where they visited local tattoo parlors in the hopes of stumbling upon her artist. What they didn't know was that her tattoos came from a shop much further away. But luckily, there was another way to discover who she was. Surrounding the woman's body and scattered around the crime scene were copious amounts of trash. As we've learned from other cases, such as the Green River Killer, this can make a crime scene vastly more complicated to process, considering the number of possible DNA samples and other evidence that has to be collected and it takes time to process, some of which may not even pertain to the case. However, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Sitting along the side of the road near where the woman's body was discovered was a translucent bag full of fast food and convenience store garbage. Inside the bag were energy drink cans, fountain drink containers, candy wrappers, cigarette packs, a container of Kentucky Fried Chicken, and a number of receipts. One of the receipts was from a KFC located in Corvallis, Oregon, which is roughly 35 minutes from the location her body was found. The receipt was dated from the previous Friday, April the 14th. Investigators immediately sent a photo of the receipt to detectives who could follow up on the lead. They were able to review surveillance video of the drive through from the time frame the receipt was printed. Wow. They noted that at the exact time the receipt was printed, there was a vehicle, a dark SUV, with two men, each with a separate order. One paid cash and the other paid with a credit card. The credit card transaction led them to a man named Kevin Thomas. Kevin Thomas was a KJ, or karaoke jockey, and he did so at a very popular bar in Corvallis called The Peacock. Like the local KFC, this is a place I've been to often. It's a staple of downtown, one that has been frequented by multiple generations, and it's still going strong and has karaoke like every single day. When detectives met with Kevin Thomas on April 17th, they opted not to tell him a body was found. Instead, they just casually inquired about the garbage that was left behind. I wonder if he was like, oh, I'm going to get a just a like ticket. I have to pay a fine or I'm sorry. <laughs> Why would I be questioned? speaking of diarrhea? I would have it <laughs> if you're telling me you found the garbage that I know was dumped with a body. If you found the garbage. Well, don't get ahead of yourself. You probably. Well, I'm saying if I'm taken in. I know. And bring up the garbage. I'd be like, like, "Uh, did you find anything else out there or just the garbage? I don't know what would be going through my head, um, but you'll see in a minute. Kevin was quick to point out that it was his garbage and that he and a friend pick up KFC on most Fridays. Kevin went on to tell police that his friend was a guy named William Hargrove. They knew each other from the Peacock, where William also worked as a bouncer. They were such close friends that they referred to each other as brother. After telling investigators a little bit about how they knew each other and how close they were, he went on to say that he had lent his brother a shotgun. When pressed about why he loaned it, he mentioned that Will wanted to, quote, go shooting in the woods to blow off steam. Will was all too happy to borrow the gun and promised to clean it and bring it back to him, which he still hadn't done. 
After spending some more quality time with Kevin, police learned a very important nugget of information. Kevin mentioned that he had been frustrated with Will of late because Will was in a love triangle and was playing two women, one of which was his girlfriend, Michelle Chavez, a woman who was technically married to another man but had been seeing Will for nearly two years, and the other was a fairly new fixture in his life. Police then brought in Michelle Chavez to interview her and get her point of view. Michelle confirmed that she was married and had been having an affair for 16 months with Will Hargrove, a man whom she met at the Peacock while driving taxis three years prior. Michelle explained that she and Will had an open relationship. They were free to be with other people. During the interview, police asked Michelle if Will was seeing anyone else, and she said he was. He had a girlfriend named Anya or Anna or something like that. While Kevin and Michelle were being interviewed, police also brought in Will Hargrove for his interview. During his time with investigators, he repeatedly downplayed his relationships. He admitted to being with Michelle and even living with her for some time when he rented a room in the home that she shared with her husband and her children. He also mentioned that he had been on two dates with a girl, the same one that Michelle referenced, but Will confirmed her name was Anna. He went on to say that he knew next to nothing about Anna, including where she was from, though he knew it wasn't from nearby because she had a thick accent. He claimed to have met her on the streets of downtown Corvallis where they were browsing books, which I will say sometimes they do put bookshelves out in downtown Corvallis. That is plausible, but we'll learn later that is a lie. Though he claimed they had only been on two dates and hardly knew anything about her, He did go on to say that they spoke for quite a long time over the phone, like regular daily calls. Will implied that he had broken off any romantic ties to this mysterious Anna in mid-March, telling her he was happy to be friends, but that was all it was going to be. While interviews were happening with Michelle, Kevin, and Will, other detectives approached Michelle's husband to see what he might know about this other woman in the love triangle. Within moments of them mentioning someone named Anna, Michelle's husband pulled up her Facebook account. Her name was Anna Ripkina. As detectives perused the Facebook images of Anna, they noticed in some of the photos she had two distinctive wrist tattoos. They quickly confirmed that the body found in the woods was, in fact, Anna Ripkina. I'll ring that bell for those detectives. Tracking down the receipt, tracking down the guy, tracking down her. Although it's really lucky that someone's so stupid to throw out garbage with at a crime like credit scene. card. Here's the time and place of where I was but exactly. He had used cash. He probably wasn't thinking oh, that yeah. his friend put a receipt in. And there. I'm shocked and pleasantly surprised. Surveillance video was still available too. With Wilma's family, that was something they were really passionate about was how can we make it so businesses have to hold on to those videos for a little bit longer? Because by the time they even knew where to start looking, everything had been recorded over. Maybe there could be a government program where the police pay for storage. Yeah, that'd be cool. Anna Ripkina was very well liked by those that knew her. She was vibrant and outgoing, loved to travel, listen to music. She loved animals and flowers and, of course, a good laugh. She was also smart and earned two degrees in university and had an office job at Ikea. While still living in Moscow, Russia, where she was born, Anna had a bad breakup with her boyfriend of seven years. It was hard on her as she desperately wanted to get married and have children. So at the age of 26, she decided to join the masses who were logging into dating sites to try to find the one. Before long, in October of 2016, she met an American named Will Hargrove, 
a guy who apparently loved all things Russian because this was a Russian dating site. According to Anna's mother, the pair became close quickly by video chatting nearly every single day. Within a couple of months, Anna decided to take a 10-day trip to Oregon to spend Christmas with Will. Friends and family who saw Will and Anna together described them as a couple who were very much in love and planning for a future together. He showered her with attention, sent her flowers to her home in Russia, and even told his friends that she was the love of his life. Anna's holiday trip to Oregon concluded with Will proposing and giving her an engagement ring. She proudly posted her ring on social media and made plans to come back to Oregon to live permanently with Will in March. Then they could start planning their wedding. At the time Anna visited in December, Will was renting a room for $300 from Michelle Chavez, who he was seeing on the side. Michelle described her relationship with her husband as a loveless marriage, and that's why her and Will became lovers. They were also self-described best friends. Michelle and Will had been discussing being monogamous once she left her husband, but that hadn't yet happened, so he was free to talk to other women, which he did when he found Anna online. Michelle attempted to show Will that she would follow through on leaving her husband by giving Will her wedding ring as a promise. When asked, Michelle was very open that she wasn't bothered by Will having a relationship with Anna online. But once Anna came to visit, I think that changed. Imagine the awkwardness when Anna came to visit and stayed in the house with Will. All four of them, they're in one place. And Anna is not aware of this other woman? I think... She may have been. There were some online exchanges where they were like calling each other bitch on Facebook at one point. Okay. So I don't know to what extent. Maybe she thought it was a former girlfriend or they had a fling. Okay. I get the impression Will downplayed every relationship. So she probably only knew a fraction. Gotcha. Once Anna left and went back home to Russia and posted on her Facebook that she was engaged and showing off her beautiful ring, according to Will, Hell was brought down on him because Michelle saw that Facebook post. Not only was she furious that he was engaged to another woman, the ring in the photo mm-hmm. looked awfully familiar. Mm-hmm. It was Michelle's wedding ring. I knew that was going to happen. Just a few short months after her visit, Anna was back in Oregon permanently, but this time Michelle wasn't having it. She informed Will that he and Anna would have to move out, especially if they were getting married. But let's be clear. Michelle and Will were still intimate at this time. Will spent several weeks seeing both women, telling Anna that they would get married, all while telling Michelle that he wanted to be with her. On March 1st, 2017, Anna and Will moved into an apartment in Corvallis. They planned to marry on March 25th, just days later. Their plan was to go to the coast and get married with just an officiant, nobody else. March 25th rolled around and the pair went to the coast. Will stopped at Walmart on the way under the ruse of looking for something to buy, but he was actually on the phone with Michelle, assuring her that he planned to be back in time to see her that night. Apparently, he didn't need to spend his first night as a married man with his own wife. Gross. Unfortunately, moments after his call with Michelle, Will told Anna that the officiant couldn't make it. In fact, he took a call with the officiant in front of her and acted disappointed that their wedding couldn't happen. But what Anna didn't know was that he was faking the call. 
By the end of Will Hargrove's interview on April 19th, 2017, detectives believed they had enough evidence and caught Hargrove in enough lies to feel confident arresting him for the murder of Anna Ripkina. Once they did so, they began applying for and executing search warrants. After searching Hargrove's homes, the former one he shared with Michelle and his apartment, as well as his vehicles, several key pieces of evidence were discovered, including the shotgun he borrowed from Kevin Thomas, ammunition consistent with the shotgun, as well as articles of his own clothing, which were stained with what turned out to be Anna's blood. He also had several of Anna's credit cards with his belongings. Eventually, they were even able to match his DNA with DNA from a cup that was discarded at the crime scene. Wow. Now it was up to police to put together a motive and a timeline of what happened before and after Anna's murder and whether or not anyone else was involved. Thanks to warrants executed for electronic devices, bank accounts, and social media accounts, they discovered a lot. Let's get into it. First, Will's texts and emails confirmed that he and Anna were incredibly close. They were in a romantic relationship, just like the friends and family said. This is completely contrary to what he told police in his multiple interviews where he constantly downplayed their relationship, saying they went on two dates and he dumped her. It also showed that he lied about how he met her, as he had been in daily correspondence with her after meeting on the Russian dating app. While they had Will's phone, they also had access to Michelle's phone because she voluntarily turned it over for search. They were able to see that she, too, had an intense romantic relationship with Will. A text from Michelle to Will on April 15th said he needed to have his relationship with Anna, quote, permanently solved by the next evening. Michelle was open with police and said, yes, this was an ultimatum. She expected Will to cut things off with Anna and send her back to Russia so that he could be with Michelle and Michelle alone. That ultimatum would expire on April 19th. They both agreed that he would leave Anna and Michelle would leave her husband by that date. This ultimatum was also something Kevin, Will's friend, was aware of. Will's cell phone data placed his phone in the vicinity of the crime scene on April 16th, the date everyone presumed Anna was murdered on. That's a pretty big clue there. I'd say that over everything mm-hmm. else. I'm like, OK, you were clearly there. Who else did it? <laughs> Will was also caught on security camera using Anna's banking card to withdraw money after that cell phone pain. First, he took out $200 at a gas station. Then he took out $600 from the Chase Bank. He then quickly deposited $160 into his own bank account. Will's financial records show that he was having significant money issues. In fact, the day Anna was murdered, Will's car insurance was about to expire. He was told if he didn't pay it, he would lose his car. So once he had the money from Anna's account placed into his own, he immediately called Progressive to ensure he made a payment to keep his insurance valid. And this is all recorded, by the way. I watched a, a couple of different shows on this case, and they have the recording of oh him just gosh. politely talking to the progressive agent. I've got my money now. It was ridiculous. And then after that, he went to the Walmart where he used her cash to buy Star Wars Legos, candy, and cigars. Oh, what a sicko. All of which is on camera.
With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom or the motherly figure in your life? Let me tell you about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send your recipient a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about, for example, your mom's life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or record her voice. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories forever. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Obviously, we love anything surrounding storytelling. It's what we do. So to be able to gift this to my mom, to not only hear her stories, but the stories of my grandparents and other family members, it will create a cherished gift for all of us to enjoy. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code RAIN for 10% off today. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The day prior to his arrest on April 19th, some very interesting internet searches and WhatsApp messages were found. Buckle up. There are so many cases where the internet searches are damning, from Googling how to get rid of a body to how do I make chloroform, but Will's were a little more intriguing. The websites he searched and the messages he sent all had to do with how he could right a wrong, and he thought he could do this by leveraging time travel. He diligently searched online for methods of time travel, and he also messaged someone on WhatsApp about a spell he could use to time travel. Now, I have an image up in the blog of one of the more interesting messages, but here's the entire exchange. Hargrove, 
Hello, I need help and I'm truly hoping you can enlighten me. I need to learn about time travel. I need to correct a horrible mistake. Please, I have to fix this. Unknown WhatsApp user. Tell me the problem. Hargrove. April 16th, my best friend made a mistake. I want to go back and stop the situation from arising. Unknown WhatsApp user. Okay, you send full problem. What do you want? Hargrove. I want to go back to April 16th, 2017 at 11.30 in the morning to stop the day from happening as it did. I want to convince myself we need to stay home so nothing bad happens. I want to go back to keep from losing the woman that should be my wife. Can it be done? Please. I'd honestly sell my soul. Please. Wow. Well, now we know why he was getting cigars and Legos. He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Well, it's probably no surprise, but by July of 2018, Will Hargrove was indicted for the murder of Anna Ripkina. His defense claimed Michelle was the mastermind and that all three of them, meaning Will, Michelle and Anna, drove out to Elsie together and Michelle was the one who shot Anna. So what was Michelle's level of involvement? That question was a big part of the investigation from the time detectives even learned the names Will and Michelle. During her initial interview, Michelle had claimed that she and Will had gone to Elsie together that day. Like they did with Kevin, when the interview started, detectives didn't tell Michelle why she was being interviewed. Eventually, after talking with her for some time, they finally told her the details about why she was there, that they had found the body of Anna Ripkina and that Will had just been arrested for her murder. After that, Michelle's story and demeanor started to change a bit. Michelle told police that she had lied earlier when she said that she had gone to Alcee with Will. And what had actually happened was that Will called her very upset on April 16th, claiming that he nearly hit a deer and got into an accident. Michelle was with her family as it was Easter, but she decided to leave the festivities and drive her Prius out to Alcee to meet Will. During that meeting in Alcee, she claims Will told her he had gotten into a fight with Anna and that she left. After Will and Michelle did some of their own fighting, they decided to make up by pulling into a park and having sex in the front seat of his car. Investigators noted that this park was on the way to where Anna's body was eventually found. Michelle also elaborated that she had told Will to, quote, fix it, meaning the relationship with Anna. She didn't mean kill her. She meant break up with her and get her to move back to Russia, something her and Will had been communicating and fighting a lot about. Now, one of the things working against Michelle was that she had a major motive. While Will Hargrove's motive was to alleviate his problem by getting rid of Anna to maintain his romantic relationship with Michelle, Michelle wanted her man to herself, and some might say by any means necessary. Did you say Michelle was married to someone else? Correct, to a Oregon State professor. Hmm. I don't know which one. A lot of chaos going on down there. <laughs> Lord, okay. I was just like, I can't keep that Corvallis straight. Corvallis may look perfect, but boy, <laughs> it is a heathen's den. Have you been to the Peacock? Of course I have. Oh, is that a, is that a big bar? Is that like a, a, it's po a popular place? It is a popular place. So that's where we go. Like, if we go back for Christmas, we all try to meet up at the Peacock. Is it's, that the one we've gone to, the Mexican place? No. no so it's downtown. One. Downstairs is like the bar and the karaoke, and then upstairs is a dance club. And that's where we all went, like in college. Everyone ends the night there. It's where all the townies go. If you have, it has a lot of space. So when we have like mini reunions, we all end up there. It's just like always hopping. You're going to see someone you know when you're there. Michelle also happened to have Anna's phone in her possession. 
claiming that Will had given it to her after the murder. Michelle also knew the location where Anna was found, and she knew it well. She had been there before, claiming Will had taken her there. And honestly, I think that looks worse for him, especially considering this whole situation could have been turned around if Anna was the one who gave the ultimatum and not Michelle. Oh, right. So like him bringing two women to that same location is more of a red flag, I think, than the women Mm -hmm. actually being there. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, here's the thing. There was stronger evidence working in Michelle's favor. Firstly, her fingerprints were not on the murder weapon, nor were they found on any other evidence collected at the crime scene. However, Will's fingerprints were found on the shotgun. I mentioned earlier that Will's phone had a distinct ping from the scene on April 16th when Anna was murdered. That ping was triggered when Will called Michelle whose phone location proved she was at her mother's house in Corvallis and not at the crime scene. This gave detectives faith that she didn't have any involvement in the physical murder. Will Hargrove's trial kicked off in October of 2019. Right away, his defense attorney, Mike Flynn, kicked off his opening argument detailing how Michelle Chavez was actually the person who killed Anna Ripkina. It was not William Hargrove. He then spent the vast majority of his cross-examination of Michelle on the stand digging into her jealousy over Anna. One of the more scandalous moments was when they revisited some of their text messages. Apparently, Michelle had told Hargrove to, quote, fix this and to, quote, get rid of her, and even went on to say, quote, if she's not gone by Thursday, she would build a snowman. When asked what the snowman comment was about, Michelle explained, In her family, there's an inside joke that if you were to kill someone, you should do it somewhere cold enough that you could hide them inside a snowman and it would never melt. Mm. Michelle reiterated, that was a joke I would never want to kill Anna. Prosecution dismissed this, saying it was Hargrove that wrote Michelle saying, quote, I will have this solved permanently. Michelle never said that. Now, in total, the defense called six people to take the stand the entire trial, a month long trial. They only called six people. And it was clear that they were just totally focused on Michelle. She was to blame. At one point, he even implied that while Michelle Chavez was submissive in their sex life, she was the one that controlled everything else about their relationship and home life. The prosecution countered by calling several witnesses of their own to help detail that Will Hargrove was showing significant signs of guilt. And this included someone who saw him the night of the murder at the Peacock Tavern, where Hargrove broke down crying, calling himself a piece of shit and a terrible person. They also dove into hours upon hours of details around the evidence they collected at the scene, all of which pointed to Will Hargrove being the sole culprit in the murder. In the end, the trial lasted a month and Will Hargrove was found guilty of second degree murder, two counts of identity theft and two counts of second degree theft. In January of 2020, he was sentenced to life in prison with a possibility of parole after 25 years. He was originally sent to the Snake River Correction Institution, but I couldn't find him on there. And then I saw on another website he's currently in the Benton County Jail, which I found rather odd. So I don't Mm. know if there's some maybe appeal going on yeah, and they moved him. Yeah, doing some sort of proceeding. Because I've seen he has filed appeals, um, which have been shot down thus far, but, you know, they always keep going. Now, Michelle 
was judged very harshly by the people around her, but she was never arrested or prosecuted for any kind of participation in Anna's murder. The stress of being the center of attention after such a horrific love triangle and murder led her to attempt to take her own life in June of 2018. Now, I absolutely would never wish for anyone to have feelings that would lead them to think taking their life is their only option. But I will say I can't understand the community view of her. I think she was involved. I yeah. Think, I think she meant kill her. Absolutely. I think you have someone that, again, going back to the time travel part, <laughs> our favorite part, it sounds like there's a possibility that she maybe was aware of his intellectual depth. Mm. And she was older than him. She was, I think, eight years older. And so when you're in that situation, you know he's armed. You're being very clear of like, oh, it's just a family joke. But if that's what the family joke means... It doesn't undo what he could have taken it as. And if you're being that passionate and you're like, yeah, we're stopping to have sex and I'm telling him to go do this and like, oh, you've got to get rid of her I'm or I'm going to leave. You kind of know where it's going to end up. I mean, she was older. She would often give him money. She would give him like five hundred dollars a month to live on. So he was like very sugar baby kind of a situation. Which I could see her using that to manipulate yeah. him. I'm really surprised they weren't able to get something. Of well, I think they didn't pursue it because she was such a staple in the prosecution. Oh. She was the primary witness, even though she continued to interact with him when he was in custody. There, um, There's a show I highly recommend that I watched the other day. It's um, called Calls from the Inside on Investigation Discovery. And they did an episode called An Inconvenient Romance. And that show is all based on recordings that you get while you're in jail. Mm. And so they talked a lot and he was acting all in love with her and talking to her. But then in other calls with his friends and family, he referred to Michelle as undesirable number one, which I have to say that comes from Harry Potter and I'm kind of loving that. But oh. <laughs> um, but he would call her that. So I was like, OK, does he have something on her or does she have something on him? And that's why he's being all lovey dovey to keep her quiet. Because that looks bad on him, not her. Or is it he's so angry being in prison or he has to put on that facade for his family? <sighs> yeah, I'm not sure. But what I also thought was interesting is in the trial, in some of the photos, there's this giant binder in front of Michelle mm -hmm. it, because there were 13,000 text messages between <gasps> them. And somebody had to comb through all of them oh and flag God. what was important. So they would refer to these text messages and she'd have to explain it. 13,000. So they have the big binder and you can, in all the like newspaper articles, they refer to it. It's so awful. One, I don't know if everyone knows 90 Day Fiance, where it's basically this same setup. You meet online, sometimes on specific sites for people looking to come to America the people come to come to your town and, and stay with you. And then if they're going to stay and keep their visa, you have to be married within 90 days. And so often and every once in a while, you definitely catch the vibe of people that are in it because maybe the person on the American side is very lonely and they have money or don't have money, but they're willing to give money. And it's kind of a scam that way. But way more often, it's the other way. Oh, yeah, you come live with me. And he didn't have the money. Right. But she had money. And she's probably just trying to find a like, I'm ready to settle down. And I don't care if it's this doofy guy from Corvallis, whatever. That's fine. It will give me a family. I get to start a life in America. And 
I mean, and she have all these opportunities in love with him. I think he did woo her to have that be his option instead of like, hey, actually, I'm going to stay in this relationship. Sorry. Why was that harder to do? Yeah, that's so sick. And well, it, so often people are like, oh, the the foreigners on 90 day, they're well, just trying to what, get a visa or whatever. And it's like, look at what the Americans do. What blows my mind about this guy, though, is he's let me let me share one thing before I say this thought. So I and I think Josh might have stumbled upon this earlier. So something that just made me like gag a little bit is as I was looking this guy up, I stumbled upon a website called Wire of Hope and it allows you to write inmates and Will is on there. So let me read you his bio. I'm an inmate of the state of Oregon. My sentence is 25 years to life. I read a lot. I'm fun to visit with. I'm looking for someone to write to who enjoys humor, who wants to communicate and actually get to know each other. Just give me a chance to get to know you and you me. Let's chat about books, movies, and life. It also comes with a description. Date of birth, 11-11-89. Gender male, marital status, single, sexual orientation, straight, race, white, eye color, hazel, hair color, bald, height, 5'7". Body type, average, hometown, Texarkana, Texas, spoken languages, English, no religion, astrological signs, Scorpio. His profile is set to expire on the 25th of February, ladies. So get to writing. His contact info is on the website. But what blows my mind is this little hobbit had these two beautiful women. Like both of them are pretty. Mm. Both of them have qualities that people want in a person. They have their own lives. And I'm like, how does this guy bag these ladies? And then this shit show happens. Like, how does that even happen? But a a lot of people who are interviewed say, he's a sociopath and he targeted weak women but i don't know i kind of wonder if he was not as intelligent i don't maybe i won't say he's targeted but i think he he could have been manipulated too i don't know this michelle woman i mean not to say he doesn't have a charm or anything like that but i get a vibe from her she seems maybe that's part of the attraction is i can have power wise i can have the power i'm the smarter one i'm the one with money i'm the one with the ultimatum i'm the one with the puss that he's after like a lot of power. And I think he was emotionally reliant on her as his best friend. Right. Like they met taxi drivers hear a lot of stories. Right. Like they're naturally going to listen to you in your mm-hmm. time of need. And they became friends while she'd be waiting outside the Peacock to give people rides. And they would get oh, to talking because okay. he was a bouncer and the bouncer sit outside. Right. So I think he developed a very strong emotional connection with her. So I could see how someone could manipulate that. But yeah. then again, she's not the one in jail. He is. If detectives didn't pursue it, then they didn't think it was worth it. But I don't know. Yes. I I think she had a hand in it. I don't think she ever touched a murder weapon or no. helped plan it. But I think she planted that. Yeah, seed. I keep thinking about the gal that went to trial and I think prison when her boyfriend killed him, took his life when she was texting him. Oh, yeah. And it's that same kind of energy that I'm sensing from that relationship where it's the power and look at I don't even have to pick up a gun or whatever yeah well yet another corvallis case in the books no, i was for gonna us. say it seems really corvallis <laughs> but deep corvallis not you cool people in corvallis. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what part of corvallis we're talking about yeah it just really kind of sounds not to say oh we've heard this story but it just has that feeling of manipulative woman yeah maybe that wants this guy i don't think we'll ever see her i mean she she got 
harsh treatment from the community and probably still does. And and he got what he deserves. I am certainly Absolutely. not in any capacity whatsoever he saying didn't need he to was do a that. victim. He didn't need to go find a girlfriend when he already had one. No. He didn't need to tell her he was going to marry her when he wanted to be with someone else. Like, and ju- I mean, what, what a doing? gross person. Totally. I'm going to stop at the store so I can call my other girlfriend and then tell you the wedding's off. Like, so then her manipulation is rolling onto him and then he's manipulating Anna. Yeah. Because she's thinking, oh, yay, I get to go get married at the beach. Like, uh, how and amazing. I think the minute he did it, he realized Anna really was the one he loved. Right. And it's just so sad. It's and so, yeah, and what a waste course, for her. Her I mean, family that's... has to hear that their daughter's dead. And they yeah, she sh- came to America for five minutes and got shot in the head. And Shocking. then her ashes were shipped back to her mother. Like, it's just so sad <sighs> all around. Yeah, that's really a terrible waste. I would love to see a history of all the searches he did for local oh i know i wish i could find that yeah how he initiated how he got to the point of initiating a conversation and was he was this after he was at the peacock um so josh for flux capacitor uh, (laughs) what were you gonna bring up was it that what was the time travel no no just that i saw the headline that that he researched time travel oh okay yeah i just for me it was like such embedded into this case i didn't even think it was weird anymore oh Oh, my god it's so yeah but then when i got to it i'm like oh okay i've never heard of that detail in a in a case like Mm. this where someone tried to that's what sold me on this to alter the um space-time continuum so when i first read it, i'm like oh yeah this would be a good short one for me because i didn't have a ton of time and then i'm like Oh, time travel. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Got all the time in the world. If we could just figure out how to get back. And also, too, sometimes these cases are just a blip on the news and then gone. Yep. So to be able oh, to tell. Oh, this one? I don't even remember when it happened. Yeah, yeah nor do I. So but to be able to so tell on a story and to say, because who knows what was said or assumed about her. And be like, no. Oh, yeah, that she, she was... was a mail order bride is what people said. And it's like, no, she wasn't. Oh, yeah, coming from money. I'm sure there were no, talks of that. No, she was just yeah. dating and he found her on there. Like, she just wanted to be a mom. Exactly. And a wife. Also, just uh, just break up. Just I break know. up. With what people. is wrong with that? If you want to sleep with someone else, break up. Yeah, just break up. People do it all the time. Clearly, I'm living it. <laughs> Two thousand seventeen, a timber company ground. Did I say that right? Which part? I don't even know. Girl who had prepped. Only bird themed places. <laughs> KFC, Peacock. <laughs> What's next? That's our title. Bird theme. <laughs> Birds. Police learned a very important nugget of it. Chicken. <laughs> she was also smart and earned two degrees in university. She was also smart and earned two degrees in university and an and oh my god, Emily, wet that whistle. <clears throat> so gross. Since I'm, your other whistle is quite wet, I immediately think of like a mustache being wet from drinking when I hear oh, that saying. Hot. And then a guy has to wipe it before he kisses you. Well, it gets wet when you drink liquid. Listen, I'm recently into dating bearded men. The last two, three of three of the four people I've dated recently have had beards. Oh, that's which exciting is for me. I was eating potato soup last night, and it got all over my face. <laughs> he literally said, like, "I'm just like I'm hungry." <laughs> 
He literally was like, I've never had so much food in my beard. It was every I bite. I don't know what's happening. For 30 bites. <laughs> <laughs> it was unstoppable. That but, soup will get you. I mean, when you're hungry later, you'll be appreciative. That's right. Just suck it out of my Ew. chin hairs. You flakes off by I that. Do. Yeah, I have the flavor saver and everything. Ew. But it's for soup. <laughs> It's for <laughs> Well, it's probably no surprise, but by... My voice is all fucked from the karaoke bar. And other things. And in your, I was very loud. Down your throat. I know, bless people's heart who are like patient and kind, because I am not. <laughs> Has anyone ever been killed with Legos? Oh, you're going to take the power wheels right into the pool. Pow, pow, power. I know I was going to say maybe it wasn't the chair. It was just a little queef queef. Ah, oh, I did have a queef the other day. Oh, it was funny. <laughs> did it smell like a magnum condom? No. <laughs> when you're sliding into home and your pants are full of foam. Diarrhea. Diarrhea. Okay. When you're in the hospital with dehydration because you had Trader Joe's orange chicken. <laughs> diarrhea. Diarrhea. When you won't refuse a load. And <laughs> you shit upon the road, diarrhea. <laughs> you win. <laughs> he opened up Google and he wrote, time travel near me? Murder in the Rain is a Cascade Media production, written, hosted, and edited by Josh McCullough, Emily Rowney, and Alicia Holland. Feel free to email us at murderintherain at gmail.com or through our website, murderintherain.com. For as little as a dollar a month, you can subscribe on Patreon to get exclusive access to ad-free and older episodes. For only $5, you can access Patreon-exclusive episodes and content. For more of us, be sure to follow on all the socials, listen to Josh and Alicia on their other show, Always Be My Sisters, and follow Emily on TikTok at M underscore Murder in the Rain. And suck my balls. <laughs> <laughs>